0: We're going to be in James 4 this morning. Last week, we ended up talking about drawing closer to God, that if we want to be closer to God, we have to do our part in wanting that and desiring that. But it's not just a want and a desire. It leads us to do certain things in our life to be closer to God, it, it kind of denotes action. It kind of makes us want to do that, reading his word, talking with him, asking him for help, and just being around God, being around his nature, being around his people, recognizing God in places that maybe we haven't looked for him before. We also talked about how Satan will use everything to distract us. Have you been distracted at all this past week? It's a wonder I got this sermon done. I tell you, you know, he will prevent us from trying to be closer to him. This includes distractions of so many different kinds. Whatever distracts you and prevents you from having a closer relationship with God and his people, that is what Satan will use to try to prevent you from doing exactly that. So what do we do? Well, look at verse 7 of James 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Ouch, James, don't talk to us like that. You're supposed to be full of grace. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, if you don't understand Jewishness, if you don't understand the history of what what he's kind of hearkening back to, you might miss some of the stuff in here. And this is why we study the Bible. This is why we try to go verse by verse, book by book. Uh, we're going to start on Wednesday nights here soon. I, I was going to mention this at the end of the sermon, but I'll mention it now. You know, we're going to do start a, a new Bible study called The Bible Study. I don't know why they named it that. It's kind of weird, but The Bible Study. And it's kind of an overview of each book of the Bible which will be kind of fun, very different from how I normally teach, because, you know, like Matthew, we were in Matthew for like 74 weeks or something like that. We're going to do Matthew in one night. You're wondering if I can do it. We'll show up and we'll see if I can do it or not, you know, but we're going to kind of do an overview because sometimes when we get down into the weeds, we miss the theme. We miss the overall. overall. God has a theme throughout the whole book of the Bible. We, God had perfection. We messed it up. And God had redemption. That, that's the theme over, over all the Bible. And then through each book, God has different themes. Through he, Like Matthew, who's going toward the Jewish, the Jewish reader. Mark, he's going toward the Gentile reader. Uh, I mean, it, there's all these little nuances that go to it. And that's why we study the word of God the way we do. But sin has separated us from God. And our goal is to get back to him. And the devil wants to keep us from that, you know, from, uh, keep us from doing that. But the only way to get back to God is through repentance. Lord, I messed up. I royally messed this one up. And the Lord has forgiveness for us. Now, we may have to pay some, some, I don't want to say penance, that is the wrong word, because that, that kind of makes us think of, okay, we got to get out, uh, you, know, uh, we, you know, Catholic, and, and, and we got to get out and counter beads so many times and stuff like that. And, and I, I'm not trying to knock on the Catholic faith, I'm just saying God is not about penance. Now, we may pay a price for the decisions we make. We screw up and it messes something up, and there's a price to be paid for that. But there's also forgiveness in the middle of all that. And God will forgive us. It's like, you know, the old adage, you jump off a building, you ask God to forgive you on the way down, God will say I forgive you, but you're still going to hit the ground, right? You know, I mean, it's kind of an obvious example, but we forget that sometimes we do pay for our sins. It's not a penance, but we do get forgiveness in a, and that's our road back to God. Jesus' focus is to get us back to God. And I hope that I've conveyed that in my teaching. I hope you don't feel discouraged through the book of, of James. You know, my hope is that, that as Christians, we realize the different areas that we struggle in. And we all struggle in different areas. And that if we ask the help, ask for help from the Holy Spirit, allow Him to help, when we start headed, we start getting, you know, back toward Christ. That's the beginning of Christian maturity. You want to come back to God, you want to mature as a Christian, admit your struggles, ask for help, allow the help, and head back toward Christ. Then you're on your road to Christian maturity. It's that simple. We like to complicate things. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. And verse 4 of James, or or these four verses, I mean, of James, shows us 10 different commands in the Greek that are essential elements to true repentance. First of all, he says, submit to God. And we think submit, okay. No, 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 no. This is a military term. This means 100% you place yourself in their authority. If the sergeant says do something, you do it. If the lieutenant general says something, you better do it. If the general says it, you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? You do the things that they say. You obey the command. Submit yourself. Submission is the motivation behind repentance of rebellion. This is where you get tired of walking away from God. This is where you say, I've had enough. And you're wanting that relationship with God. And you say, I submit myself to you. So we have a positive command, submit yourself, paired with a negative command. Resist the devil. We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, The Greek is what you think it is, to take a stand against. We're to practically take a stand against sin, against the devil, to say, no, I am not going to do that. I'm not going there. I'm not going to watch that. I am not going to listen to that. I'm not going to continue that relationship because it's destructive to me. I'm not going to put myself in that position again. Those are decisions that we have to make. If you are a Christian, then you are lost to Satan. You were lost to him. His only beef with you at this point is to make you so ineffective, so down, so screwed up that you cannot influence others for God. That's his goal at that point because he has already lost you. He wants to make it where everybody goes, (laughs) typical Christian, and they just shake their head. That's Satan's goal with your life right now. And you need to resist that. The power to resist comes from God, and and the will to resist comes from us. The power comes from him, but we have to desire it. We have to desire to resist the devil and to walk with God in fellowship. Psalms 101, David says, I will sing of, sing of your love and justice to you, Lord. I will sing your praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. Now, did David mess up along the way? <laughs> of course he did. But his desire is here, you see it. And this goes with with verse 8, and he gives the third command, come near to God. Once rebellion is replaced, it is our responsibility to actively draw near to God. And we talked about that last week. Prayer, praise, getting into the word, fellowship with the body, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us, asking God for, for his wisdom in our life. And if we start doing these things, he promises to draw near to us. He wants to do this for the sinner. He wants to be near us. He enjoys our presence. Think about that. God enjoys you. The question is, do you even enjoy you? You know what I'm saying? God wants to be around you. God desires that. Do you remember what God said to Moses on Mount Sinai? Don't let the people come close to the mountain where my presence is. Because if they even touch a rock on the side of the mountain, they will die. Why was this? Well, they were full of sin. And God's presence can't be there with sin. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we sinful nature, sinful beings, can be near God. Why? Because God sees us totally different. God sees us white as snow. God doesn't see the sin. He sees St. Alan, not sinful Alan. That's an amazing thing. And he desires to be around us. The old covenant was just sin that covered it. The new covenant is, I take away that sin. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that the faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we possess for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loves and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We get to be with him because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're not prevented from going to the mountain. We're not prevented from from being in the temple. In fact, the temple, it's all turned upside down. The temple is within us through the Holy Spirit. This brings us to the fourth and and fifth command in James. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, again, this is knowing what the Jewish thought here. This, This is both referring to ceremonial cleansing. Something his readers would have immediately picked up on, when you, when you when a Jew would enter into the temple area to offer sacrifice or to worship uh, our Lord, to have fellowship with Him, before all this they would go and they would take a bath in what they call a mikvah. And I was planning on having a picture up of a mikvah uh, really near the close of the temple because they're all over the place because people needed to do that before they went into the temple area. But again, it was a crazy week. So but they would they would go there to offer sacrifice, but before that they would take this bath. These were little pools carved out of the limestone. It had steps that, that went down into them. And the idea was before you approach God, your sins needed to be washed away. And this was represented in the bath. This is what we call baptism. This is why we do baptism. This is what John the Baptist was doing before Christ came along. He would be, you know, convincing the people to cleanse yourself, come to God, cleanse yourself. And this is how the Jews represented, you know, before having fellowship with the Lord Almighty, the idea was to purify yourself before coming to God. Practical holiness. Having a mindset of of living for God. That's how we view it. We have, a, we have a pure heart before fellowshipping with the Lord. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5.8: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Pure means clean, unmixed, a spiritual cleansing to make us pure. In Acts fifteen nine, 9, Peter is talking to the, the first church council, and they were very upset because Peter started going into Gentiles' homes, and they were like, you know, the old... Ugh! Gonna have a heart attack. Peter went into a Gentile home because for a good Jewish man, you would not enter a Gentile home. That would defile you. But God had shown Peter that Gentiles and animals were no longer considered unclean and to be unavoided, that God was, was for everyone on the earth through the Jewish people. The Jewish people were supposed to show the world God's graciousness and God's goodness and God's saving grace. They didn't do that very well. Instead, they said, this is our God, you stay away. And God's going, no, I'm for everyone. I, I want to save everyone into my kingdom. I want to graft them in. I want, to, I want to adopt them into my family. In Acts 15, 9, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and saves him and the others there. He talks to them about God. And the leaders were taken aback by this and, and wanted a meeting. They called him to the carpet, you know. And Peter explains the whole thing to them and says to them in Acts 15, 9, he did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. So we see this with everyone. Everyone has a chance to come to the Lord. Now how do we apply this to us as Christians then? I mean, we understand non-Christians, you need to come to God, purify yourself. The saving grace is given to them and they have an opportunity to come But what about believers? Well, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There is a continual, ongoing cleansing of our hearts that happen to us as Christians. And we have a part in it. Asking for forgiveness and walking into the light. That term walking into the light means my sins are no longer in the dark. My sins are no longer in the shadow. The Lord sees them and understands them. We sin, we come into the light, we confess, and he washes that away. Through this, we stay in fellowship with the church and the Lord. The Greek for pure also means unmixed. God is pure, sorry, I glanced down at my notes, I tried to read quickly, and, and, and I'll say the wrong word oftentimes, gold, I mean, God is pure, it, that is true, but really, the direction I'm going is gold, gold is pure when it's gone through the intense fire, right, right, they, they mix, they take gold, and they start melting it up to about 2,000, 3,000 degrees in the, in the cauldron thing. And, and then they'll take some other stuff. So I guess they call it slag or something like that. And, and they'll throw it on top, and it, and it takes all the impurities, and it connects with that. And you take the gold out, and you dump it on the ground, and it pops all those impurities off, and you're left with pure gold. That's what happens. It goes through this fire, the intensity. This is the same as wheat being separated from the chaff. And it becomes what they call pure wheat. A heart completely devoted to God, not divided. Not loving part of the world. Not one step in, one step out of God's kingdom. God's desire for us to be saved is is immense. But there's also more. He wants us to be totally undivided totally his see god has created a new heart within us he implants his heart into ours and we start to have different desires godly desires godly ambitions i mean when i think of traveling man i think of australia hawaii europe africa china romania i mean all sorts of places i want to go and see and then god comes in and says you like to travel how about the slums of angola africa or the orphans of of, i mean of uh where did we go kenya the orphans of kenya how about those are the refugees of greece are those that are down and out in the philippines they need me and i'm choosing you to go help that See, God changes the desires that we have. He molds them to his business. And he gives us those desires. It's about glorifying the Lord. See, the Lord should be our first love. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now we've all heard that and know that and understand that, but the practical part of it is, we try, don't we? We try one step in, one step out. Solomon says in Proverbs one twenty three, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Hmm. Man, as parents, that's hard to guard your kids' hearts, isn't it? They see stuff daily. God doesn't want a diluted heart. God doesn't want a mixed heart. A pure heart will produce a changed heart that's totally devoted to him. Now, I understand that we wonder and we drift sometimes. Sometimes we'll be on fire for God and you know, being blessed by God and something happens and the patient devil does his work and then we're found wandering around our hearts become mixed it happens and then we start to wonder what happened the thing is we can and we should have a desire to come back to god but you can also prevent this by having our heart check up we take our son every six months before it was like way i mean every three months and then it became every six months. I, actually, now it's, it's every, every year that we go back to the heart doctor to check up on our son's heart condition. Why? We want to compare the numbers. Are the numbers the same as they were last time? Are they good? What are they, you know, what, you know, they do an ultrasound on his heart ahead of time? Uh, what's it look like? Has the valve grown you know, uh, the correct way? Or is there gaps in there for his uh, pulmonary stenosis and all that kind of stuff? We do a checkup. It's important to do that. We need to do the same with God. God, how am I doing? How's my heart doing? Is it growing towards you or is it shrinking back to the world? Is God's heart overtaking my heart? Or is my heart overtaking his heart? We need to make sure our heart doesn't become mixed. We need to start new every day with the Lord. We need to move towards the Lord as we talked about last week because God loves us and forgives our sin. We often forget about that. I mean, it's hard with kids, especially with, with kids that hold on to things. You know, you punish a child, and, and they're just like all in it. And I'm like, I've forgotten about that. That was like three weeks ago, or that was three months ago, or that was six months ago. I have, I have one son that thinks about those things continually, and I'm just like, oh, you got you got to release that. We need to be the same with God. We, we can, you know, we've we gone to God and asked for forgiveness, but we're still thinking about it. And God's like, Alan, I, I, why are you thinking about that? I'm done with that. I've forgiven you with it. I don't even know what you're talking about now. He's forgotten about it. But we also need to be like David. Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We confess. He forgives. And then we are cleansed. We all need some cleansing. James says to them, you sinners, you double-minded. The word for sinner here is a strong word. It means a hardened sinner. This isn't, oh, you know, I I really... This means I've given over completely. There's a difference between I've sinned and I need to ask for forgiveness or I'm living a life of sin. And that's completely just going, I'm just going to act like the world. I don't care anymore. This is a hardened sinner, a person, an obvious person who is sinning. This is a religious unbeliever. Do you understand what I'm saying there? A religious Unbeliever, Somebody who, who is religious, acts religious, and does all the religious things, yet when they walk out, they're acting like an unbeliever in the world. They're totally given over to the world. Go back to verse 4. You're either a friend of God or a friend of the world. So this is directed toward the unbeliever, I think. But I think it also applies to us as believers. Why? Well, repentance is p- re- repentance, right? Verse eight: Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded mind, uh, means waverer, an unstable person. Don't you love it when uh, you know, when somebody calls you an unstable person? Have you ever had somebody call you that? Hopefully, the answer is no. You know, divided loyalty, a desire for God but no action behind it, and a lover of this world. This goes back to what James says in James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. They're two-souled, one for the earth and one for heaven. Don't get caught between two worlds. God wants us to live wisely. He wants us to, to grow up, to serve only him. Because if you want to be blessed by God, you need to live for him. Joshua challenges the Israelites in Joshua uh, 24. The Israelites were caught between worshiping God and worshiping the Canaanite gods. He said, don't be in the middle. If you want to worship the Canaanite gods, then go do that. But then the famous verse that we all know, right, or that we've heard at least once or twice or 24 million times but for me and my house we will serve the lord he flat out says it either go do that or go to god don't be in the middle throughout the bible the leaders and the teachers were always challenging the people to make a full commitment to the lord now starting in verse 9 He gives four more commands for maturity. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Grieve. We've all been there. This is where we're just miserable, right? He's saying in in your repentance, you ought to grieve to know that you've done wrong. To know that you ought to be miserable about it. To mourn, it says, you know, to mourn about something is continually think about it. to To it stays with you. It's a good place to be. It means your heart is still moldable. You feel it. In Second Corinthians seven nine, it says, "Yet now I am I am happy, not because you were made you were made sorry, because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended." and so we're not harmed in any way by us godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death well cry cry out about it you know cry out to god it doesn't mean to go and tell everyone over and over and over the same sob story and every little detail about what is happening This is for you and God. Don't take sin lightly. Be broken by by it. And then he says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, many people don't take sin seriously. And this this verse goes back to, I think, um, uh, Jeremiah, I think it was, that was telling the people, look, you're out there partying and stuff, and you're out there laughing and having a good time in the middle of your sin. You need to change your laughter to crying. You need to change your joy to gloom because of what you're doing. Many people don't take sin seriously. And when sin is pointed out, they blow it off. They look at you like, stop being a fuddy duddy. Stop being so old. James is saying, watch out. You need to take it seriously. Don't blow it off and look like it's no big deal. Because if you think about it, it is a big deal. Have you ever talked to a non Christian about Christ and sin? They look at you, and they kind of get this smirk on their face sometimes. Those that aren't receptive to it at all is what I'm saying. And they just kind of look at you like, you're off your rocker. And they totally blow you off. James is saying, don't treat sin the same way. Satan is God of this world. Little g, God of this world. And in control of the media. He's in control of Hollywood. He wants to lower people's resistance to sin. You will not believe an article I read this past week. You're going to shake your heads. I guarantee you you're going to do this. The article was written by a woman who said that kids are getting into hardcore porn too early. I'm like, okay, you got me there. I I understand that. I think it's sad. I think it's something we need to address in the church. But then she went on to say, so we need to make soft corn porn for the kiddos so they will stay in that longer and not go toward the hardcore porn. Yeah, see what I'm saying? You're shaking your heads, aren't you? At least in your mind, you are, hopefully. Man. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think so. Uh uh-uh. uh. But this is how Satan works introduce sin early and often, early and often. The only valid emotion to sin is mourning and lamentations. Uh, I bet you didn't know you're going to get quoted lamentations in the, uh, on Sunday morning, huh? We don't go there that often. Lamentations 5, 15 to 16. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Jeremiah wrote, wrote lamentations after Israel had been taken off and carted off by the Babylonians. He preached for 40 years about sin, and Israel ignored him, and sin was taken lightly. After the Babylonians carted them off, Jeremiah was sitting on a bluff overlooking uh, Jerusalem and overlooking what was happening, and he wrote Lamentations. And he basically said, Are you laughing now, Israel? Your joy has turned into sorrow. Woe to us, for we have sinned. I'm afraid that too many people who have been laughing about sin will end up one day in hell because they've ignored the call to the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And that's sad. So what do we do as Christians? Well, verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He gives grace to To the humble. It means to make low, to make yourself low, to bend down low, to know your sin and to know your place. We don't walk in and act like we own the place. I mean, yes, we're allowed into heaven, but I don't think I'm going to walk in and go, how's it going, my buddy Jesus? I think I'm going to go in with my head bowed, right? Right? I'm going to know my place. You know, this kind of gives me the idea that the guy who says, I'm not bowing down. Yeah, I did this, but I'm I'm going to tell everybody I didn't do it. I'm on trial for it. I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to tell everybody in jail I didn't do it. Never going to admit it. Eventually, you convince yourself you're right. But the opposite of this is a, a you know, humility in this life. And it's a very good thing. Knowing who we serve, knowing what we believe, knowing where our love comes from. It's humbling. Knowing where our forgiveness comes from. A, a wise person recognizes this and lives accordingly. In Philippians 2 it says, Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one of, uh, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others Above yourselves. When's the last time you valued somebody else? Not looking to your own interests, but of each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his, his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made into human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow." in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Humility is the basis of everything that we should be about. Everything. Let us recognize our sin. Let us repent of our sin because it restores our relationship with God Because every day, I mean, everyone will someday answer for the beliefs and their actions. And the difference between those who believe and those who don't is huge. It has a great consequence. So we need to humble ourselves so we can be lifted up in his glory. Because it is about God's glory. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God and everything that we do. Amen? Amen. Well, let us pray. And the worship team will go ahead and come on up. Lord, I I pray for our church. I pray for our community of, of, of Christians here, Lord, that we would confess our sins, that we would come before you and say, I've done wrong, that you would point out our sin that through your spirit, you would help us correct those actions that we, may become ba- that we may come back into fellowship with you. I pray that you're gentle with us, that you're loving with us. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that we come back, that we have a relationship with you that, that matters, and we have a relationship with you that can affect change in this world that we resist the things that are not of you in this world. Help us resist those things. Help us live for you, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he never turn from you. May you always go toward him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.